1 Corinthians 14, verses 13 through 18. For this reason, the one who speaks in a tongue should pray that they may interpret what they say. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So what shall I do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will also pray with my understanding. I will sing with my spirit, but I will also sing with my understanding. Otherwise, when you're praising God in the spirit, how can someone else, who is now put in the position of an inquirer, say amen to your thanksgiving, since they do not know what you are saying? You are giving thanks well enough, but no one else is edified. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. But in the church, I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. In our context, we don't engage with the spiritual gift of tongues very much, at least not publicly. Some in our church have likely never even heard anyone speak in tongues, and we'd be surprised to know that others in our congregation do actually have the gift. While on the surface, this passage is about the public use of the gift of tongues, it has deeper implications for what we do in our corporate worship. Paul hints at two purposes for corporate worship. First, personal thanksgiving, and second, mutual edification. Put another way, faith expression and faith formation. Paul notes that when one sings in their spirit, i.e. expresses their faith and thanksgiving to God, they are giving thanks to God well enough. It may be a very authentic expression of worship. But he also notes that when we gather together, we've got to have a broader goal. We've got to consider our fellow worshipers. Not only are we there for personal expressions of worship, we are there to build up our sisters and brothers. Worship is not only about authentic faith expression and encountering the presence of God. It's about faith formation done within community. This broader vision for corporate worship as faith formation opens us up to do things that don't feel particularly authentic to us. We might sing songs that are not our preferred style, tempo, instrumentation, maybe songs that are too happy or too sad, songs that we would not consider ours. But over time, while we may, while we may never grow to like that song personally, it will shape us and it will become our own. We may experience an unexpected moment of grief, and the words of that slow, boring song, He Will Hold Me Fast, become the perfect expression of what we're experiencing in the moment. Another example, consider our weekly prayer of confession. It might not feel authentic to you. After all, it's not your words you're praying. It may feel routine and rote to say the same prayer every week. It may even seem like AJ is running out of creative ideas for confession, so he's phoning it in. But if faith formation is the goal of corporate worship, the idea of routine becomes invaluable. After all, you never get good at something without practicing. So, after praying that prayer of conf confession consecutively for a month, you may begin to consider your call to pursue holiness not just in word and deed, but also in thought. During the week, you may realize the ways in which you sin not by commission, but by omission. In the prayer of the following Sunday, you may find the words, We confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed, by what we have done and by what we have left undone, to actually be authentically yours. 
What if worship is not just something that we do? What if it's not just an expression of our personal faith and thanksgiving to God? What if worship does something to us? What if it shapes our faith and edifies us? The church has long used a Latin phrase to summarize this relationship between worship and faith. Lex orandi, lex credendi, which means roughly the rule of prayer is the rule of faith. Put another way, worship shapes believing.